Seven decades ago, the first television adaptation of Superman arrived. Now, it's time to rock it back to the 1952-1958 series Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves. In this rewatch podcast, my guests and I break down each episode, from its black-and-white crime drama beginnings to the kid-friendly color seasons, as we celebrate one of the most underrated Man of Steel depictions of all time. Welcome to the series premiere of another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Season 1, Episode 1, Superman on Earth, is the host of the Always Hold On to Smallville podcast and our first guest, Zach Moore. Welcome. Hey, Anthony. Happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. We'll get into this a little bit more, but I've said this to you off mic as well. Being a part of your Smallville rewatch podcast journey as both a a guest and a listener is one of the inspirations for my doing this podcast. So that's one of the reasons why I felt it was especially fitting to have you on here for our series premiere. In addition to the fact, and I've said this to you off mic as well, it really tickles my fancy that you are chronicling a 10-year origin story on your show. And now here we are on this podcast about to tackle a 20-minute origin story. So I think it'll be really interesting to get your perspective. That, that is true. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think about that. This is a very appropriate episode for me to be on. And I'm, I'm honored to be your first guest as well. So thank you. Well, my pleasure. Happy to have you here. So again, season one, episode one, written by Richard Fielding, a.k.a. producer Bob Maxwell. Richard Fielding is the pen name. Directed by Tommy Carr. Aired exactly 70 years ago today, September 19th, 1952. Now, I am aware there's a little bit of a dispute out there about the exact air dates because the show was made for first-run syndication, and there's a little bit of ambiguity about the exact dates, but I am relying on the generally accepted air dates. So for this, we are going with uh, September 19th, 1952, so 70 years since the series premiere of the show. Wow. (laughs) That's great. You you think about Superman. I mean, he was... Do the math, less than 15 years old as a character when this came out, right? I mean, there, there's so much mythology that hasn't even been, you know, invented yet for this character, which which probably plays into the repetitiveness of <laughs> repetitiveness of some of the show and the villains he fights or doesn't fight and things like that. But uh yeah, I mean it's it's crazy to think that that this is 70 years old. Like we 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 are getting old. <laughs> Superman's getting the time marches on, right? I think about like you know, King Kong, one of my favorite movies of all time. That's going to be like 90 years old. It'll be 100 years old in a few years. I'm going to watch this this older media. When I was, you know, when I was a kid, I just, I watched a lot of older stuff. You know, your parents kind of introduce you what they grew up with. And then you watch cable and you watch reruns and stuff. And and, and that's that's a huge part of my uh, history and fandom of this show, actually, is, is cable reruns. All right. So I want to circle back to that in just a second, because that's, that's a, a key piece of all of this. First, the synopsis from the DVD set. Journey with Superman from Krypton to Metropolis as he joins the Daily Planet staff and meets the fiery Lois Lane. So this is a full-on origin story for our first episode, although, interestingly enough, filmed last, which I learned via my handy reference guide, Superman Serial to Serial by Gary Grossman came out in 1976, I believe. Is it available wherever books are sold, Anthony? It is absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also going to be a running theme on the show, I think. And much to my frustration, I wish that as we were doing all these episodes, I could say to our audience, hey, 
run on over to HBO Max and queue up Adventures of Superman and watch along with us. Alas, I cannot. It is not streaming anywhere. The show is available for digital purchase on Amazon, so there is a way to get it at a cost, but it is there. Uh, the DVDs seem to be largely out of print. Your luck may vary in terms of eBay or, or Amazon or other online sellers or you know, used used uh, DVD or, or bookstores. Libraries are another another uh, place you might try. Uh, but this is a frustration, and I, I hope, you know, I'm saying all of this as we're recording, I hope that if someone comes to this podcast like a few years down the line, that that's changed and that there's a really quick, easy, <laughs> you know, relatively inexpensive way to watch these episodes. Similarly, the book, Serial to Serial, so as in movie serial and then breakfast serial uh, by Gary Grossman, I picked this up on eBay uh, relatively affordable, and, and it's, it's such an incredible reference guide that goes, again, all the way from the Kirk Allen movie serials through, you know, the entirety of, of Adventures of Superman, and they do talk about the production schedule for Adventures of Superman, and the fact that for that first season in particular, there were two directors, it was Tommy Carr and Lee Sholem, and they would essentially each work in about five-episode blocks, so one of them would be filming five episodes, and they would film them serial style. So they would film all of the, the Perry White office scenes for all of those episodes in a row, and, and so on. And it's efficient. It makes perfect sense. Very efficient, as, as has been you know, lamented by the actors, not always the most conducive to <laughs> you know, keeping that narrative thread going. But that was how they would film it. And so while one director was filming those five episodes, uh, the other director would be prepping his, his five-episode block. And so according to this book, and I was surprised— Superman on Earth was the last one in this first batch of, uh, not first batch, but in, in the season one production schedule. So there you go. That's interesting because, you know, to, to jump a little bit ahead, right, Superman and the Mole Men aired last, was produced first? Or is that wrong? So I'm glad, thank you for bringing this up, because this is another thing people might be sitting there and be like, why are you starting with Superman on Earth? You got to start with Superman and the Mole Men. So Superman and the Mole Men was this theatrical feature that was really essentially a pilot for Adventures of Superman. So it was made first and it was released in theaters, but it was then later aired as the two-part Superman versus the unknown people um, at the end of season one. And that's where the season one DVDs included. So for a variety of reasons, I'm following the DVDs. So we'll be covering Superman in the moment in its two-part episodic form when we get to the end of season one. So thank you for bringing that up, my friend. I love stuff like this. As as a as a Star Trek fan, like the original series of Star Trek, you know, came out in the '60s, you know, and the broadcast date order and the air date order completely ridiculous. Like the 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 second pilot, which has a mostly different cast, totally different costumes uh, of the original series, aired third, just randomly third. So you know, it's for Adventures of Superman. It's like okay, this makes sense. You 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 filmed your origin story, you put it first. And then, like your your big movie or whatever, you that's your season finale. I mean, they didn't think of those terms back then, but to me, that makes a lot more logical sense uh, than some of the other shows at the time. Like, because this this is a very episodic show, obviously. Um, and the, you know, Superman on Earth is like really the only one you kind of need to watch in a certain order. Everything else, I don't think there's any continuity. I'll be interested to you know as you go through the journey of the show, I'll be very interested to see what continuity pops up, like. Kryptonite. I know it shows up multiple times. Do they reference other things? Like I'm, I'm just very interested in in, in how that goes across the the six seasons of the show. Yeah. So we'll get to all of that at, at the beginning here. I'll I'll talk for just a second about the origins of the show. So like I said, you know, following along your Smallville rewatch journey and and checking out other television show rewatch podcast definitely got me thinking about doing that. I mean, folks, if 
my voice is familiar to you. It's, it's likely that you've listened to my Superman show, Digging for Kryptonite. So I've been doing that show for a couple of years now, uh, covering Superman across time and media. And in 2021, I devoted a couple of episodes to Adventures of Superman. And in preparation for those episodes of Digging for Kryptonite, I watched all of seasons one and two of the George Reeves show. So I watched both black and white seasons in their entireties. And then I watched... I would say about a quarter, a little more than a quarter of the color seasons, seasons three through six. So I've not seen every single episode, but I've seen most of them and I've seen all of the first two seasons. And in, in watching those, I was just so taken with this incarnation of the character, especially in those black and white seasons. And I've got a, a, a very full podcast plate as it is, but looking at what was out there, it just sort of, or what wasn't out there, felt like there was this you know, this this opening, this opportunity to do something to celebrate the show, especially as we're coming up on this milestone 70th anniversary. And I just, I thought about it and then I kind of put it, put it to the side and then I just kept coming back to it. I just like, I couldn't, I couldn't shake it. And so I said, all right, I think we need to do this. Because like I said, doing those other episodes on the other podcasts, I just kept feeling like there was more, there was more that we could do here. So that's, you know, that's what led me to this. Now I'm going to ask you, a question about your history with Adventures of Superman. And I actually have a patron question uh, from, from one of the members of my Patreon community that really tees this up perfectly. And I think this is going to be another theme as we make our way through these episodes. So shout out to Eric, who's been a member of my Patreon for years now. So thank you, Eric. Eric says, I have a question. I know that not everyone discovered this show in their youth, but I did. It was broadcast on a local station on Saturdays when I was growing up in the late 70s and 80s. I'd be curious how anyone 50 years old or younger discovered the show, especially now since it seems the show isn't being broadcast widely these days. For me, Saturdays were about waking up, watching cartoons, and then about three hours, three hours of The Adventures of Superman. So the show doesn't just connect with my comic book fandom, but also with fond memories of my youth. I'd love to hear other stories of how they discovered and enjoyed the show. So on that note, this is something I'm going to ask everyone the first time they come on the show. And of course, we start right here. How, How did you discover the show and what what role did it play? Has it played in your Superman fandom? Yeah, I remember watching this show when I was a kid, a little kid, on Naked Night on Nickelodeon. Back uh, back when Nickelodeon, which was a just <laughs> frame of reference for people here, right? Nickelodeon, uh, and it still is, it's a, it's a cable network aimed towards kids, right? You have cartoons, some live action stuff. Um, but at night, I don't know if it was every night, but uh, probably late at night when kids were asleep. Maybe that was the idea, but Nick at night was the big thing. And when I was a kid, uh, growing up in the late eighties, early nineties, they had Mary Tyler Moore, Dick Van Dyke, Bewitched, uh, I Dream a Genie, Mr. Ed, and they had Adventures of Superman, right? And uh, that was my favorite one of all of them. And I, I just remember as, as a little kid, you know, I had a, I had a Superman costume and um, I don't know if, I don't know if this is a common toy for kids, but I had like a small little trampoline so a lot of times I just remember jumping up and down, watching the show and, and the living room and that kind of thing. And and yeah, it's just like it's iconic stuff, whoosh, right? The sound effect of the flying and all that. And I just have I have a, a lot of um, fond but vague memories of this show because it was just on a lot. I mean, it's on. I don't know if it was every night, but it, it was on quite frequently. And it was just you know one of if not the first. I I don't know if I saw this first or the Christopher Reeve movies first, but they're very formative of my like understanding of and, and fandom of, of the of the character of superman before i was even reading you know comic books that my dad had passed down to me uh, i was watching watching this show so I, I don't like i couldn't say like yeah this is the first one i saw and 
this stuck out to me. It was just something that was always there. And of course the opening credits, you know, everybody remembers that the, the probably the most distinctly, I remember that for sure, but uh, that's how I watched it. And, um, and then uh, when they started coming out on DVD, I, I either was gifted them or had got them myself. All the Superman things I have, it's, it's, it's a good 50, 50 of things people have given me sometimes more than once. <laughs> I'm sure you can relate. And then uh, things I've got myself. And then fortunately I, I have the entire uh, set on a, uh, all six seasons on on DVD, all all four volumes of the six seasons on DVD, and uh, and I did not open them until probably a few years ago. I had moved into a new apartment, and my um, you know, waiting for the internet to be set up. You know, I'm like, oh, I don't have streaming or anything right now. This is a perfect opportunity. I'm going to crack these things open, and I, and I got through the first uh, two seasons, the black and white seasons, and I, and I really enjoyed them. And then eventually, I did get my internet set up, and I, you know, to be honest, I still haven't opened those other. <laughs> two volumes but but i will so watch along with your podcast so in a nutshell that's my fandom and uh and i I've, I've always enjoyed the show and i found revisiting it to be very delightful like i'm like you know this is a different take of the character it's very of its time but i found it also very like refreshing and like feel good you know i feel good every you know at the end of every episode and that, that's that's how i always remembered it and, and, and it holds it holds up to me in that way and i was i was actually surprisingly impressed by a lot of it too which we you know we can talk about over the course of you know this show yeah for sure and I'll say this. I wish, I wish I had the experience that you had, or or that Eric had, or that a lot of fans have of growing up with it and and having that connection to it. I have vague memories at best of watching, maybe a few episodes here or there at my grandparents' house, just catching reruns. And so I, I remember seeing it, but it didn't. I guess it just didn't really cement with me. It's weird hearing you because we're, I think, about just about the same age, and and I watched a lot of those other shows that you mentioned on Nick at Night when I was a kid, and I don't, I don't know. I, 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 Adventures of Superman was not part of the mix, and when those DVDs came out, I did pick up. I think I bought the first two seasons, and I think I started watching season one, and it just. I think, like you said, it is of its time, and I think I was just not at that point for me. I just wasn't ready to receive it. And so those first two seasons, I gave those DVD sets to my uncle, who had grown up watching it, right? And was happy to take them. And that was kind of it. And I never really thought I would go back to this show. And of course, that changed when when I covered it on Digging for Kryptonite. And now I, I do own uh, all six seasons on those four volumes. I will say I do vastly prefer the first two black and white seasons. 1,000%, yes. <laughs> you know, in those color years, it definitely became much more of a kid show, and and very kid friendly and it lost that edge certainly the first season is pretty <laughs> pretty dark and violent i mean it's, that's what i said when i'm like uh, you know impressed slash surprised but i'm like oh they went here with that they went there with that like you don't expect that kind of stuff for a a family entertainment show of that era yeah exactly now i go into all of these things with an open mind so when we eventually get to those color seasons hopefully everyone enjoys the podcast and we keep going and we get to those color seasons and when we do like i'm curious i, I don't know maybe my opinion will change or i'll, I'll see it in a, in a different light but again I, I don't have that that deep long-term connection to it but uh, i have a lot of love for the show and i'm excited to talk to to people like you and, and others like you who do have that connection to it uh, I, I think it'll be fascinating to get your your perspective on all of this so that's a little bit of how this podcast came to be so again this is an adventures of superman rewatch podcast we come out every other week on mondays 
And each episode will be covering uh, an individual episode of the George Reeves Adventures of Superman series. And we'll give our overall impressions. We'll talk about it in the context of the rest of the series and the larger Superman mythology. And we'll give our you know, scene-by-scene breakdown as, as, as best we can as we make our way through the episode. So I, I'm really excited. I hope people are enjoying this and continue to enjoy and, and come along for the ride. Make sure you subscribe uh, via whatever podcast platform of choice you prefer. And I hope you become part of the conversation. You can follow our Digging for Kryptonite uh, social media uh, pages. There's the Digging for Kryptonite Facebook page, Digging for KR Pod on Twitter, uh, Digging for Kryptonite podcast on Instagram. There's also the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network Facebook group. And you can go to flatsquirrelproductions.com. That's my production company, flatsquirrelproductions.com. You can send a message. Uh, so I would love to hear from people. I would love to hear what your experiences are with the show generally and with these episodes. So please feel free to reach out. And I hope that you enjoy this journey that we are embarking upon here. All right. So let's, I guess, give our overall impressions of Superman on Earth. And I actually have one more patron question. And this one also... I promise these are not plants. These these came in from the patrons. <laughs> <laughs> this question, I think, really tees up uh, the discussion that we're going to have. It was certainly something that was on my mind the first time I, I did my watch of, of season one. So uh, this is a question from Brian. Brian says, while I always appreciate a retelling of Superman's origin, I'm surprised the series started out with it. Do you think it was a good way to start the series? Or would it have been better to start in the middle of the action with an established character? So I'll toss that to you first, Zach. What do you think? Was this an appropriate way to, to I mean, it's certainly, I mean, I think, you know, it certainly makes sense, but do you think there, mm-hmm. there might've been equal or better value and just kind of like launching right into an established Superman? Yeah. You know, not having any, any kind of encyclopedic memory of what episodes were, I was actually surprised, you know, when I got these DVDs and started watching them, like, oh, they did an origin episode for the first episode. I was surprised because you think it's going to be like, you know. Um, more Batman the animated series than Superman the animated series, for example, because you just Batman the animated series, you start out, he's Batman, whatever, and then there's sprinkles of origins throughout uh, Superman the animated series. It's the Krypton origin and stuff. And uh, for a show that came out in the 50s, it's like, oh, that's kind of ambitious to even do Krypton at all and, and the history. And um, and yeah, you, you and then with the, the syndication mindset, the idea of that, you know, back back before streaming kids, there was syndication and what that. And so they, you know, the, the studios would make these shows and then just hand them out to local affiliates and then they just show them in any order. Again, I mentioned the original Star Trek, very similar, right? Just just random episodes coming out every day, various times. Um, and so you, you would think that they would just have the first adventure of Superman. But yeah, I was I was surprised. Um, but I like that. Although, although I was even more surprised, honestly, because uh, they, I, I don't know how the rights worked back then or anything. But you know, they had just done these movie serials, which you covered recently on Digging for Kryptonite, uh, which I'm halfway through. By the way, I got through the first disc, and I'm <laughs> waiting to watch the second disc. I wanted to watch that though before we did this to kind of have some kind of frame of reference because they'd just come out a few years before. I, I actually half expected because I had. I, even though I rewatched these a few years ago, I really had no memory of how the Krypton stuff was. I half expected them to just use the same. <laughs> footage from the serial but they didn't i know i had that same thought as well yeah that's the thing the the first time that i delved into this i was genuinely surprised that they did an origin episode uh for all the reasons that you just said and going back to the the kirk allen movie serials i think i guess this cuts both ways because on the one hand i think to myself well they just did the origin like a few years earlier these were the theatrical serials so they're out there in the world like it would have if the show felt like, okay, people have seen this on the big screen, 
we don't need to do this. That would have made sense to me. But I guess the other hand is that there's now a, a template, like a live action template for doing this, right? So, you know, there's there's some guidance, I guess, that they could sort of follow. So on the other hand, I guess like it makes sense that they would. But yeah, I, I was surprised and I, I give them credit because I think for the most part, this works and it works surprisingly well given the limited runtime that they have. So I, I overall, uh, surprised that they did it. I'm glad that they did it, I, you know, for, you know, it certainly gives us, you know, an interesting angle to explore here. So uh, I'm glad that they did it. It's funny too. So my, my buddy, uh, Rich Roney, who grew up, he's in his 60s, he grew up watching Adventures of Superman uh, in the 60s. So he was watching reruns, but he grew up watching it. And he's told me the story about how he, you know, he, he never saw Superman on Earth. Like he missed it when it aired. And, you know, totally different time. You couldn't queue it up whenever you wanted. And he tells a story of being on the playground at school and some kid was like, oh yeah, like I saw the origin of Superman. And he was like, what? <laughs> and it took him decades before he finally saw it. Man, uh, how, yeah. how many episodes of the show are there? 104. Yeah. So if you, if you missed one and assuming I just, you know what, maybe they air once a week, <laughs> then you have to wait two years for that episode to come back around. Right. So that's, that's how it worked back then before people were spoiled by by Hulu and whatnot. So that's, that's great. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's crazy. But uh, Superman on earth, more like Superman, not on earth though. Anthony, <laughs> it's the first half of this episode is on Krypton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you know, going back to what you're saying before about the order. Yes, of course it makes sense to start with, with this one, but you know, next week we're covering the haunted lighthouse, which is a very Jimmy centric episode and Superman Clark first doesn't show up until about halfway through the episode. So, you know, that's an instance where I was, you know, very curious, like the episode order was very curious to me in that case. I, I feel like it's not until episode three, the case of the talkative dummy, where you actually get to an episode that is representative of what the rest of the season and the series is going to be like. Yeah. So it's been some time Superman or the Daily Planet office, that kind of stuff. Because the Haunted Lighthouse, I think I remember that one. They're literally on some island the whole time, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> okay. It's, it's a bold way to start your show because there's like barely any Superman in either of the first two episodes. Which, which to to answer the question again, like you would think in that mindset, oh, we're 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 gonna sell cereal to kids. We need to get these kids excited. Let's have Superman out from the very start. Let's have a big save and all that. And no, that's their interesting approach. So. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of the serial, so, and I know for people who really know the show, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but for anyone maybe who's not up on the Adventures of Superman history, so the producers of the show made the entire first season and then they were trying, and then it just kind of sat for a year or more. And then Kellogg's came aboard as a sponsor and then it started airing. So they made this first season really in a vacuum. All right. And then, and then move forward with it. That's crazy. <laughs> Like it's just the, the the production mindset back, you know, seven years ago, it's so different than today. Can you imagine like, yes, yeah, so we we filmed this arrow show. <laughs> Hopefully someone will pick it up. You know, here's twenty-two episodes of it. That that's crazy. Um, but that that, you know, I'm looking forward to you getting into it as you talk about the podcast. But that that could explain a lot of the behind the scenes and in front of the camera changes you see over the course of the show because this this was just sitting there and some actors moved on and some didn't and uh and yeah, and so, I mean, this was, I guess, right after Molmed. So those are closer together than, I guess, this and the rest of the show, even. Uh, so that was a previous year. So that's, that's interesting. That's to think to think they just made an entire series and had no uh, 
plan of where it was going to be. <laughs> I know it's it's incredible, and yes, they made it very quickly and and cheaply and all that, but it's still they they made it. It you know it's that's an undertaking. So yeah, sometimes you see a pilot, but not like a whole all the episodes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really something. So uh, in any event, yes, we have this this telling of the origin story. Uh, well, I mean, for you, this must, you must've felt right at home. Cause you're used to watching a show that with no Superman, yeah. you know, so it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Oh, is he going to put on the costume? It's okay. If he doesn't, uh, is it? No, but you know, we see something even here that we didn't see on Smallville. We, we see Krypton, like Smallville didn't even do Krypton. I know. So this is even more of the origin than Smallville gave us in the first episode. Uh, but yeah, you're on Krypton and, 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 uh, I gotta say, I mean, not to compare it to the serials throughout the whole conversation, but I, and I know it was a few years later, right? But I, I much prefer this presentation of Krypton than the serials version. Um, I did think it was funny. Like they, they call the science council guy, the president and he's at a, Joel's at a podium and the president has like a gavel. It's like, okay guys, that's you're they, they, they did well of like they're outside, at least the, the appearance of being outside with columns and that kind of thing, because in the serials, they're like in a, in a conference room or something. Uh, but I think they really stepped their game up as far as the production goes, uh, bringing Krypton to life. And just one other thing I, I, I wanted to get your take on. So, um, you know, in the comic books, Jarrell has this giant like sun on his chest and he has that here sort of. Um, and it's interesting, but you, you pan over all these other Kryptonians and you see different symbols and like, they were so close to where they actually got in Superman 78 with like, there were the S is the, 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 the house of L symbol. Uh, and then everybody else has different symbols. And I always thought like that was invented there, but I don't know. Like you see these people with these crests on their chest and like, maybe that was part of the thinking here. I don't know. That's where my mind went seeing all that. So that's fascinating. Like, I feel like you're giving them more credit because so my understanding is now in addition to serial to serial, I, I also do consult IMDB trivia. And so uh, it appears that the costumes that they were wearing were were borrowed from other movie serials of the day, including Flash Gordon and a bunch of others. <sighs> that makes sense. So yeah. I think it was more or less random, but I don't know. We can maybe retroactively look at it and say, hey. This was, you know, representing the different houses on Krypton. I'll go with that, man. I'm all about it. I'm all about the headcanon. So that's where I am. We'll go with that. So, you know, in a second, we'll take a commercial break and then we'll do our scene by scene and all that. But, you know, big picture. I mean, did you find this episode effective? I mean, they have to cover a lot of ground in a short period of time. Do you think they did it well? Did they do the origin story justice for you? I mean, I feel like they did, considering the character is only 15 years old at this point or more or less. Right. Um uh, they covered all of the beats like they covered they covered Superman's dad being a scientist who was uh, laughed at and ridiculed and couldn't save the planet, had a plan. They had to send him to Earth. He, they meet the kids that he grows up on the farm. He he talks to his mom about why he's different. I'm like, the, the kids die. He moves to Metropolis. He gets the job of the daily plan. I'm like, this is the, this is a very satisfactory cliff note <laughs> version of the origin of Superman. Like they didn't leave anything out. I mean, at this point, like I. I was very impressed that they hit all the major beats, and I think they did a very effective job communicating the origin story of this character. Same here. I, I You really have to give them a lot of credit for how efficiently they covered everything, but they hit all of the major beats. And what's so funny to me is, is I was thinking about all of the other on-screen tellings of the origin that we've gotten, and Superman the movie and Man of Steel, these are feature-length films. Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, effectively a TV movie to kick things off. Superman, the animated series, a three-part 
story. Smallville, 10 seasons. <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> even the, you know, even the serials, it's a few chapters in before everything is really set up and he's Superman and Clark is working at the planet. So, I, you know, I'm hard pressed to think of, of, you know, certainly when it comes to live action, something that told, like actually took the time to tell the origin story, but had such a, such a compressed period of time in which to do it. So yeah, I'm very impressed with what they were able to do there. We'll get to it. There were a few things that I, I thought could have been executed a little bit more efficiently. And it's not even a matter of effects or anything like that. It was more character beats where I was like, ah, oh, they could have kind of smoothed that over a little bit better. But in any event, overall, man, I'm very impressed with what they were able to do. It's kind of amazing, really. <laughs> it really is. I, I think, we, you know, you have this mindset about something that's 70 years old. And it's like, ah, but I'm like, no, man, they, they knew what they were doing back then. Right. I mean, even got to give them credit that they they hit all those major beats, like you said. And, and you, you mentioned it's funny you mentioned Lois and Clark. They didn't do anything Krypton related. Right. Or Smallville. I mean, he just Clark Kent shows up and stops a bus and he gets the job. And that's what that show was all about. Right. But it, this show was also all about that. <laughs> this show is not about Krypton or Smallville or anything, uh, but they felt the need to, to do that. And maybe maybe, you know, maybe Lois and Clark thought, ah, you know what? People remember the movies and this and that. We don't need to go into that. And they took a different angle. But um, but here they they went for it. And I, I really I, re I respect it. And hey, look, speaking of Lois and Clark, it's Lois and Clark, the new Adventures of Superman. So, you know, Ooh. that show is calling to mind this this original version. So, yeah, absolutely. It's right there in the title. I feel like, you know, for for Superman fans, but I feel like even more so for the public at large, I know the Christopher Reeve Superman, the movie that looms very large for so many people and then justifiably so. But, you know, again, one of the reasons I wanted to do this show is, is to really, you know, do justice to adventures of Superman. Cause this really for generations of fans and for a long time, you know, it's decades before we'll get to Superman, the movie, you know, this was out there and it was exposing a lot of people to the character in a way that made them fans. Well, I know. I think that's an excellent point because, you know, I, I talk about Christopher Reeve being like the once in future Superman and, and just, his his quality performance aside, he was Superman from 1978 to like on the big screen now, right? To like 2006, and even that was a continuation of his character. So that stretches out even further. So he's like the guy forever. George Reeves, right? The show came out in 52. Yep. Um, 52 to 58. So 52 from 1952 to 1978, right? That's like 25 years, right there, people. Like he was when people thought of Superman. That was him. And there wasn't any other follow ups or any. And there was nothing in between. There wasn't like, oh, a, a TV show here or a movie of the week here. It was George Reeves and then Christopher Reeve. And then to this day, people mix up their last names. And it's a pet peeve of mine. But, but that's oh, that drives me nuts. That drives me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. But oh, it drives me nuts. <laughs> I had an argument with my history professor in uh, junior year of high school about this. He was like, it was it was. George Reeve and Christopher Reeves is like, sir, I respect your knowledge about a lot of things, <laughs> but trust me, trust me on this. It's George Reeves, Christopher Reeve. Uh, amazing. All right, let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll break down this episode. We'll be right back. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, 
and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order, and it helps support the show. Thank you. Oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Oh Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Oh Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Oh yeah. And we're back. All right, we'll make our way through the episode, starting, of course, with this iconic opening sequence. Now, we won't talk about it every episode, but, you know, from the second, I just rewatched it last night, from the second that that music starts, oh, it just pulls you right in. As Superman fans, you know, I, we've been treated to some pretty incredible opening sequences when, we, when it comes to Superman shows. I don't know that we've necessarily had a bad one, uh, but where does this kind of fall for you? I mean, you don't have to rank all of them, but I, like, where does this kind of fall for you when we when we look at these these opening numbers for the various Superman shows? Well, obviously, Smallville's first, but I well, of uh, I got to say, <laughs> this is this is iconic, right? I mean, this monologue, you know, which is itself is a is a riff on the monologue from the Fleischer cartoons, right? A lot of the same beats they hit they hit on, uh, but faster than a speeding bullet more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. I mean, that's the reason that line's in there is because that was from the Fleischer cartoons technically before he could fly. That's kind of vague, I guess. But um, people know that people don't know Superman. They know that people say that all the time. This is quoted often too many times in like cheeky dialogue and like Smallville, for for example. Right. But people quote that people know what this is. And um, it just strikes me like you know, this. They have a gun like rotates and points right at the screen. I'm like, that's a little. That's pretty hardcore, especially for the 50s, I think. It's pretty in your face. And, you know, f- folks, you know, f- forgive me if, I, if I'm uh, off here, but I think, I mean, I think the radio show too, right, utilized uh, 
the, the same or similar verbiage as, as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. you had this stretch with the radio show, with the Fleischers, with Adventures of Superman. There was a lot of consistency in, in terms of that, uh, I think, in terms of that messaging. But this opening sequence is kind of the other reason, just to go back for one more second to what we were saying before, which is, <clears throat> I feel like this opening sequence does such an effective job that it's another reason why I think they would have been okay, to Brian's question earlier, not doing an origin story. Because I feel like this opening sequence, it gives you everything you need to know about the character, really. So again, if they had not told the origin, I still think this opening number would have been sufficient to you know get everyone up to speed. So it's, it's uh, you know, it gets you pumped up, it amps you up for the episode, but mm-hmm. it also gives you all the information that you need. It's, it's, well, it's, it's amazing. It's the equivalent of, you know, in the Arrowverse, well, when they started, because I know they changed the intros after Crisis, but, you know, my name is Oliver Queen, I'm five years in hell, I've returned home with one goal. Like, it's okay, I know who this character is, right? And again, for the syndication, the showing episodes in any order, you don't know who's, you don't know what episodes people's first episode, like this little summary of where, what Superman is, what he can do, and that that's, it's all one very neat package and it's, it's iconic right even the image of superman standing there on like i always thought it was the moon i don't know if it's like an asteroid or whatever but like standing there with his hands on his hips and the, the american flag is behind him like it's an iconic image and uh it's it just is it just permeated pop culture forever so for sure it's it's one of those things i mean like watching it on the dvd you don't have the option of skip intro you know you would have to literally fast forward uh, but even that even if i had the option i, I wouldn't i would always watch that just like the Smallville one as well. That is my favorite as, as well. <laughs> truth, truth, justice, and the American way, Anthony. Yes. <clears throat> I know. No longer our slogan, but, you know, it's, again, of its time. And that, and this is the show that kind of put it in that public consciousness. Like, you hear it over and over and over again. And he's and he, he's standing in front of American flags. So they really, they really lean into that, at least in the intro. So, you know, this is something that we'll get into more <clears throat> in later episodes. Not even the next one, really, but but after that. Uh, but this first season, like we were saying before, there's an edge to the show and to Superman. I mean, this is not this is not the more paternal Superman who you would get later on in the show. I mean, this Superman doesn't have a ton of patience and, you know, he mixes it up. I mean, he engages in fisticuffs with the bad guys throughout the season. It's, you know, and you see that change as the series evolves. And certainly in the later seasons, there's barely anything more than a, a little karate chop to the back or, <laughs> you know, clunking their heads together. But it's in this first season in particular, this Superman is very dynamic, kinetic, is really mixing it up. And it is, you know, very much harkens back to that golden age, you know, champion of the oppressed. Not that we're necessarily getting into those issues per se, but He's really this this you know like scrappy fighter you know for lack of a better description so and I love that I, you know I, I like mm-hmm. different flavors of Superman I do particularly like this I love the Golden Age version of the character the more depowered you know characters like mixing it up like that I love it oh absolutely same page there because this is a different like you said different flavor Superman and that's what makes it interesting to watch it's like if they were trying to do the things that. Christopher Reeve was doing 30 years later, right? Then that's, well, then, oh, they obviously can't do that as well because they don't have the technology. So they look at, like, hey, what can we do? Yeah, it is kind of funny to see Superman. I mean, not in this episode anyway, right? That's down the road, but like hitting gangsters in the face. <laughs> and it's like clearly, okay, well, he's like, you know, turning back his powers. It's like when Clark plays football or whatever. Like, I can, I get it, right? So you got to do what you got to do. But uh, no, it, it's, it's, it's refreshing and it has a lot of energy to him, too. You know, I mean, when he's hopping around and, 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 
like you said, clunking guys' heads together. Like it's it's fun to see Superman do that because you obviously you would never see that in modern interpretations. Absolutely. And look, one last thing we're talking about modern interpretations because I've I've talked about this a lot on digging for Kryptonite. I, I am a fan of of the the Zack Snyder Man of Steel incarnation of the character, and that was a character who engaged in a lot of introspection and had a lot of you know, a lot to do to reconcile his place in the world and, and who he was going to be and all of that. And I like that version of the character, but I also, <laughs> I also really like this version. Who's a very uncomplicated de- depiction of the character. He's just Superman and this is what he does. And, and I like that too. I mean, like, that's the thing that's so cool about being a fan as you well know that you can get these different takes on it and they, they work, especially in terms of the, the time period that we're talking about and the audience that they were meant to serve. And so I think that this George Reeves, take on the character was perfect. It, it was what it needed to be at that time and still mm-hmm. holds up great. There's still so I much agree. fun to watch. I agree. I agree. All right. We have our narration from our omniscient third person uh, narrator uh, over the, the, you know, the, the vastness of space. Uh, it's it's a, a different guy than does the intro. I was a little surprised by that. I thought they would just, why don't, why don't you have that guy continue talking about Superman, but it's a different guy. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, we see the stars and we make our way to Krypton and we're told that we're, this was many years ago and, and millions of miles from Earth and Krypton burned like a green star in the endless heavens. And so we make our way, oh, before we make our way to the Temple of Wisdom, as it's called, uh, we are told that the Kryptonians are a race of supermen. Uh, yes, they're like us, but quote advanced to, to the absolute peak of human perfection. Now, I've covered the various tellings of the Superman origin story. A lot of it is kind of blurred together for me because it's been a little while now. But I've I've gone through all of this. I I don't love this idea of the race of Superman. I mean, I know they're not necessarily explicit that they have the exact powers of Superman, but I, but. Uh, I, where where do you land on this? Do you like the idea that he comes from this race of Superman, or or do you prefer the more modern take that you know on Krypton they're really like us, but it's it's truly the the unique uh, environment of Earth that enables him to be a Superman? Yeah, I definitely lean towards preferring the modern interpretation. I, I just that's that's became so much of the understanding of how the character works. It's like oh, the red sun rays and Kryptonite and all that that make him normal. But when he's on Earth, under the yellow sun, because of the gravitational... I don't know if all this is just all of the Superman lore I've consumed over the years that kind of like, no, this is how it should be. Um, but yeah, in the early comics, that they kind of they implied that it's everyone on Krypton is hopping around, doing things like this, and they're just super powerful. And I guess that's one... That's it's not invalid. I mean, we're creating a character, character from scratch. Uh, but I think it's much more interesting as they develop the character more. They're like, oh, well, back on Krypton, he would have been normal, but now he's here and he can do this, because it... It's just, I don't know, it's less interesting if he, no matter what happened to him, he would have been super a Superman, all right? I mean, that's part of the, the the silver lining and the tragedy and the hope at the end of the tragedy is, yeah, his planet destroyed and his parents died, but he came here and he became a superhero and that's star benefit and that would never happen if that hadn't happened. So uh, there's, there's a deeper poetry in there somewhere about that, uh, what you lose and what you gain. So I think that's definitely a more layered approach and, and I, I prefer that. Uh, totally. No, I'm with you 100%. And just you know one one other piece to add he you know the idea that he's different from humans you know we still have that piece of it but i also do like the idea that he's also different than kryptonians right i mean yes if they had made yes. it to earth 
but you yeah. know they didn't have that experience. So you know when we get instances where you know he time travels or you know there's some opportunity for him to uh, you know interact with uh, you know with, with someone from Krypton who he wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to. Like he's different from them too, uh, and, and I like that aspect of it. So, uh, but yeah, this was very much you know kind of the the model we were working uh, with at the time. So we go to this temple of wisdom with the the, the marble towers and the the, the, the flaming torches. Uh, and this council, this governing council and their garb borrowed from other movie serials of the day, yes. like Flash Gordon. <laughs> and we have, I mean, this is, you know, you look at all, like virtually any, any origin story of Superman that includes the Krypton piece. And this is what you get, you know, Jor-El trying to convince the council that the planet is doomed and being laughed off in terms of the Jor-Els that we've had over the years. Because we've had some incredible ones, and we've had some lesser Jor-Els. <laughs> Where does this Jor-El uh, fall for you? You know, I thought he was pretty good. I, I actually looked him up, and I was like, "Oh, okay. Was this has he been in anything? No, uh, really, of note that I that I could recognize, or whatever." But I was like, "Okay, this is a younger guy," which I think I I like that interpretation. I mean, everybody loves. I mean, Superman the movie is my favorite, but Marlon Brando, like, kind of the whole white hair, I'm old man God going on, <laughs> like the vibe of Jarrell there. Um, yeah, if, if you know, <laughs> Jarrell had a kid, I mean, yeah, he does you know, not to be ageist or anything, but like he probably would be in his, you know, mid thirties or, or early forties. He wouldn't be an older guy. Um, so I, I, I like that vibe, but probably, but Superman, the animated series, it got a lot of things right with the origin. I think that was one of them. And this guy gave him that same vibe, a young guy who's just trying to be like, Hey guys, listen up. Pulls out his at the lab and he pulls out that that poster, like <laughs> piece of paper on Krypton <laughs> in the future. That does kind of date it, like the presentation, like I mentioned a little bit earlier. But uh, but no, I, I thought he was really solid, Jarrell. Like, does he stand out? Is he in my top five? No, but he got the job done. He did. I, I like the I like the the age uh, as well. This is something. Shout out to comic book artist V Ken Marion, who's been on digging for Kryptonite a bunch of times because he's brought this up to me as well. I think it was when we were talking about Superman, the movie, he's like, why is Jor-El always so old? It, like, it's true. I mean, it doesn't really make sense necessarily. So yeah, I, I, well, I thought on Smallville, he was going to be old man, Terrence Stamp, but we never, we never saw him. So he was just middle-aged Julian Sands. Yes. <laughs> but he was still too old. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, overall, I was, I was fine with his take. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that I would necessarily look to this incarnation of Jor-El uh, often, but uh, it certainly got the job done, at, you know, as you said. Uh, there's one point when he's really pleading with the council and his eyes keep darting back and forth. I saw that. I saw, You think he's reading the cue cards? I think he's reading the cue cards. I don't. And it, yeah. Just more like Marlon Brando. That's See, what it's I was thinking. It's like, if you're Jor-El, man, you can't be bothered to learn friggin' lines. You get your cue cards. I don't know. I mean, the, the one thing... Because that was my first gut. And then I was like, well, is it that he's looking at the council members? Is, he, is like, he looking at the different people back and forth? Yeah, I had, it's so funny. We had the same exact thought. <laughs> but they just, you know, audience, if you have an opportunity to watch, like, go back and watch that scene. It's when things start to get really heated and, and he's really pleading with them. And the, like, they just keep darting. I think he was reading. Yeah, because it, it's, it's like a really close up. It's like it's like neck up of him. That's why it's so obvious, I think. And it's very possible he was reading a cue card. That's right. Yeah. But so of course we've had all of these unnatural uh you know phenomena, you know, quakes and and, and sounds like thunder to me. Yes. And you know he just gets laughed he just gets laughed off and 
you know, he he shows him this model of a rocket, and he needs five thousand men, an unlimited material to create a fleet to you know take uh, the population to another planet, to Earth specifically. Like this is a version of the story where they know they're going to Earth. Do, do you notice he he says that line like twice? He's like to Earth, so and so, the planet Earth. So and so, so the other guy's name I forget, but it's like. Did you guys leave in two takes of that same line? I thought that was interesting that he just, all these production things we're commenting on now, but back to back, he says the same thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I don't know that I totally clocked that in the moment, but now that you're saying it, yeah, there, there was that too. The one thing to make me laugh a little bit when he's, when he's talking about how much time uh, Krypton has left and he's like, it's a month or maybe weeks or it could be days or hours. <laughs> <be> hours. <laughs> like, All right, buddy. <laughs> See, you would laugh that guy off too. It's like, it's- <laughs> Bring me some more specific <laughs> numbers, Jarrell. You know, it's so funny, especially on Digging for Kryptonite, like going through all of these stories over the past couple of years. And and I will say that the Jarrell piece of it has become so much more resonant to me. And I, given real world events in, in recent years, it's become a lot more believable and understandable to me that a scientist would be so quickly dismissed. Right. Because yeah. as, as a kid, it's like, I'm like, what is the big deal here? Like, why? Why wouldn't they? He's their foremost scientist. Mm-hmm. But now we've seen instances where people don't want to believe. So that it, makes, it, you live enough life and you look around, and you're like, ooh, this yeah. hits a little more on target than you might have thought when you were a kid. Uh, well, everyone trusts scientists. I don't understand. Uh, I, I think that, you know what? And I'm having this conversation now talking about the age. I think the age kind of plays in too, right? If he's a younger up and stunning scientist and all the older guard, the old generation are like, no, no, young man, you, you're just mistaken. You're, I think that helps play into why they perhaps shoot down his theories because he's like just a, a boy genius or whatever you want to call it, right? And they're all just older and more seasoned. And that's you know, another layer to it. That's such, a, that's such a great point. I love that. Yeah, that might, that might help account for it. So He's quickly dismissed. I know they probably look at him. He's like, he wants all these workers. He wants unlimited material. He can't even give us a reasonable, specific time frame on when this is all supposed to happen. It could be any minute, you know. Yeah. So, we, you know, we we make our way to Jorel's lab, and you know, of course, now we get the classic scene of Jorel and Lara. Griffith Observatory, apparently. At least it looks, yes. <laughs> looks that way to me. Stock footage. The observatory. Yeah. I mean, you know, com- again, going comparing it to the serials, the serials used a painting. Uh, for their establishing shot of Krypton, just as, you know, later on, famously, the serials, you know, didn't have the technology to depict Kirk Allen actually flying the way we would later see in in the in, in this show. Uh, or the so, spaceship flying. Yes. So, you know, we would see it rendered via animation. So, you know, again, it's interesting, like you were saying before, just to kind of, even just within those few years to see how, you know, how things had changed a little bit. But with the classic beats of Jorel and Lara, you know, facing the now imminent destruction of Krypton and putting the baby in the rocket, uh, I had some issues here. Had some issues here, especially okay. as, as a father, but even just mm. as someone who's watched all of these uh, depictions of the origin story. First of all, once you know as things start to start to come down and they realize the end is near, uh, Jorel is very quick to want to put Lara in the rocket. He doesn't even think of the baby. Laura is the one who's like, well, if someone's going to go, it should be it should be baby Kal-El, which, look, it mm-hmm. gives Laura a little something to do. But yeah, I, there's you know, this is a Jor-El who does not display any real emotion or sentimentality towards his son. Zero. <laughs> and, and I don't know if this is a writing thing, an acting thing, a direction, or maybe this is a product of its time. Of the time, yeah, I was thinking the same thing because Laura is more like the emotional, like, oh, what are we going to do? And 
and Joel is just a hundred percent business, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that that uh, probably does help account for a, a lot of that. But, uh, yeah. So Laura is the one who says, Hey, like we should, you know, we should put the baby and she, she brings baby Kal-El and, and, and this is where we bump, we, I bump into another thing that just drives me nuts. And it's not just here. It's in plenty of, of the earlier origin oh. stories. Is, is it because there's room for two of them uh-huh. and she decides to stay? Yeah, please yeah. go on. <laughs> How? It's like, it drives me nuts when when stories include this element because it's just like, all it really shows is, look, it does speak to the, the love between this married couple. But again, look, you're recently married. I, I, I'm a husband and a father as well. It's like, there is no scenario where where it would play out like that, where, you know, my wife would be like, no, I would stay with you or where I would even entertain that. I would be like, no, like you have to go. Like the, the fact that she wants to stay and that he just goes along with it, it just didn't, does not ring true for me. Like at all, even before I was a parent, like it just doesn't make sense. Is it, is it that way in the animated series as well? I feel like it is. I think they, I, I don't remember. That's off like the top 40 of my years head, later, guys, it, step it, it up. Might. I know. I know because I'm trying to think I'm going through the origins now as you're talking about this and I'm like I feel like that might have been because in other versions Superman the movie Smallville it's very obvious like okay just a baby can fit in here <laughs> but when you have these more rocket ship versions like like this a very 50s rocket ship by the way this is yes <laughs> so you know look that that bugged me it bugs me whenever that happens in the origin stories uh, and then finally when Jor-El goes to put the baby in the rocket I mean he just like shoves him in <laughs> <laughs> there's 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 nothing gentle about it and i i know it's a very heightened uh you know moment there but just like shoves him in goodbye my son <laughs> he's yeah. not quite russell crowe or marlon brando is he He just <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's not there and and again i you know i don't think that you know that the show wasn't built for that like that wasn't what this was about here but uh just take a minute you know, I mean, like at least Laura kind of, oh, look at him. He's being, he's doing so well. Even now I'm like, okay, that's nice little, uh, because it, clearly they're holding some prop. Right. But like when they cut to an insert shot, it's a baby, you know, and he's being cool about it. Just have a, have it take 10 seconds and have your, your parents say goodbye to your child. Say, I love you. I don't say something, some emotional connection there, but they don't. They don't. And that's what, like what I was saying before, you know, some issues that I had, it's nothing like, oh, they should have done a better job showing the destruction of the planet. No, I, you know, that's fine. I, I get that they were limited in what they could do, but that's what I wanted to see. Some moment of, of tenderness, of, of, of caring uh, you know, between jor and the baby. Well, that's when you feel the loss of the planet. You know, we're like, oh man, his parents, they loved him. And there was, there was a family here. And this is just like, yeah, it's, they didn't seem to care that much anyway. <laughs> That's fine. And that's Krypton. And now we make yeah. our way to Smallville. And this yep. is your territory, buddy. Somebody save me. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, let me toss it to you first. I, you know, what what was your take on not Jonathan and Martha, but Eben and Sarah? So this is again, we're very early in the story. Yeah. Jonathan and Martha, those names have not have not solidified yet. That would come later in the Superboy comics where those names would be cemented so even okay. and sarah originated i'm actually literally looking at it on my shelf there's a novel uh written by george lothar from the 40s the early 40s called the adventures of superman and they were given those names there in the serials i believe it's even and martha so i think there was martha there there was, there was a slow 
<laughs> evolution. Yeah. So this took a little while, but here we have Eben and, and Sarah. So we meet them as they're riding in mm-hmm. their car. I mean, like, what are your impressions of, of Eben and Sarah? Well, my first impression was if, if George Reeves met Adam West, Adam West would have killed him because their moms had different names. <laughs> so that's my first impression. Now. Sorry. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> sorry. I had to go there. Anthony, look, I'm sorry. It's fine, man. I, you know, I've defended the Martha bit from Batman v Superman a lot, but look, I had the same thought as I was watching this. I'm like, man, if Martha had never stuck as a name, they would have really had to figure out something else in that movie. That's such a key <laughs> but, point. <laughs> all jokes aside. Um, yeah, I mean, they just, they established them as like a simple country couple driving down the road in their convertible pickup truck. And uh, yeah, they see the spaceship and the, the spaceship. I got See, I, I'm kind of torn because like I... The, the design of the spaceship in the serials was like, oh, that's straight out of the comics. Like, because, you know, it literally was a cartoon, right? You see that, you know, you see the cartoon ship come and land and all that, right? Um, this is just a very simple, like, missile-looking thing that could have been literally from NASA or whatever, pre-NASA, NASA in the early 50s. And, I mean, that's fine, I guess. Um, you know, what I thought was, what really struck me, though, is so, so they they see this rocket land, and then he they hear a baby crying. So, oh, I got to get in there. And so this looks like the smartest thing I've ever seen the kids do. He starts like throwing dirt on the rocket to put out the fire to take the baby out. I'm like, that's genius. Like usually just the, the ship lands and the baby comes out and it's all great. But like, you know, Jonathan, not Jonathan, but uh, uh, Ebner, Ebner. What, what was it again? Eben. Eben. Ebner. <laughs> e- okay. Sarah, a name that continues today. Uh, Eben, not so much, right? So <laughs> yeah, that's you, don't meet a, you don't meet a lot of Ebens these days. No. But uh, uh, Eben throwing dirt on there to order in order to like puts his work gloves on, pulls the baby out. Like I like that a little bit of, you know, man of action saving the, well, and from their mind, saving a baby from a crashed spaceship. That was a nice touch that I hadn't really considered. Same here. You know, that was, and that was a great example of, of showing, not telling, which I wish that had continued throughout the rest of the Smallville sequence, which we'll talk oh, we'll about get there. <laughs> but but yeah, when 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 he says to Martha, he's like, or Martha, God damn it. When he says to Sarah, he's like, I have to do something. Right. And like that's that's Superman right there. Right. Like yeah, you see that value in his adoptive father and you see how that's going to be passed on to him. It's like, look, someone's in trouble. I don't know exactly what to do, but I have to do something. And and you're right, it is ingenious. It's like, well, this makes total sense. Throw some dirt on it. Now, this rocket is surprisingly flimsy because apparently you can just like kick it in half. Well, it burned up in the atmosphere. Yes, you see. I know, I know. It, <laughs> it, it, compromised, it compromised the structural integrity and then, yeah. you know. It's all fine. fine. It's all fine. And then it combusts, which this was, you know, this was a hallmark of the early origin stories. It's not like in the modern tellings. Like now it's such an iconic part of the story, right? Where the Kents- It's in the cellar. Him, yeah, it's like they show him the rocket and it's like, oh, I'm an alien. It's, and I love that. I love that piece of the modern story. I think Same. that like, it Same. works so well. And obviously Smallville, you know. Did Smallville it. and Man of Steel, both very effective scenes. Absolutely. Yeah. So. It's like you have that ship and it's just a way to to really show him. Uh, but yeah, because yeah. when it blows up, they're like, well, now, now no one will ever believe us. I'm like, well, what, what, <laughs> what are you going to tell them anyway? Like, <laughs> but it, it was a clean way of kind of just erasing. Because I'm sure someone would be like, well, if a rocket ship crashed there, somebody would be like, where'd this come from? And at the time, the writers were like, just have it blow up mission impossible <laughs> style problem solved. So yeah, a- absolutely. Now, as far as the, the depiction of the characters, yeah, they are very, very country, like very rural folk, you know, Sarah's, uh, Sarah's talking about the ringing in her ears and 
even like taint just your ears. Like I'm hearing it too. Like it's, you know, they're, it's, they're far more country than we typically see in the depiction of the Kents. Yeah. They lean into that very heavily. So this is, this is middle America, what people thought in the fifties, I guess. So and maybe, maybe people spoke like that more. I mean, that's, you, I associate more of that more like, I don't know, like Mississippi, Alabama, that kind of twang to your voice, every other word being something like that as opposed to Kansas, but you know. Yes, I, I, I'm with you. So whoever in California wrote this thought people in Kansas spoke this way. <laughs> so the narration returns and we see these long lingering shots of a farm and horses and cows, lots of cows, lot so of cows. many cows. And we're told that uh, you know, 12 years have passed and, and, you know, they named the boy Clark and he started to develop ability, strange abilities. We don't see any of them, but we're told. I was, I was waiting to see, I don't know, some kid just pick something up, something in this, in this montage, but it's a montage of just farm animals. So again, and this is what drives me nuts and it's kind of baffling to me because, you know, am, am I expecting something to the level of what we get? on screen today no but like you said can you show him picking up one thing i i don't know i don't know that that would have been so much to ask it's such a curious choice it's all tell no show and then again the serials right is if i'm not mistaken doesn't he like find literally find like a needle in a haystack to kind of show his x-ray vision and that kind of stuff yep so i mean that's they already did that just do something like that again it's so simple so strange and then we have maybe the most unintentionally hilarious in one part, uh, mm, but, but also mm-hmm. a similarly baffling scene here in the kitchen where, where you know, 12-year-old Clark and Martha have this discussion. Martha, I keep doing it. I'm so sorry. Sarah. <laughs> Ma. Let's call her Ma. Ma. Ma, Ma and Pa. Done. Uh, Settled. So you know, Clark comes home from school. He's like, why am I so different? Why am I so different from all the boys? Now- before we even get to the substance of this, what did you think about the fact that it's Ma he's having this conversation with? I thought it was strange that teenage Clark, George Reeves, adult Clark, has no scenes with Eben Kent at all. Uh, like, I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Like, I thought, okay, he's going to talk to them. Oh, I almost did it. <laughs> Martha, <laughs> he's going to talk to Sarah, right, when he's a kid. And then because I knew, I remember that George Reeves shows up at some point. I'm like, oh, I guess I'll talk to his dad maybe when he dies or something. But, you know, to fast forward ahead just a little bit to make our point here. Uh, after, he almost did it again, John. After, after Pa pulls the baby out of that ship, there's no scenes between him and Clark at all. And I'm like, well, that's a, just kind of a wasted opportunity. Or at least have both parents talk to him, not just one. So I, I thought that was strange. That was, for me, the weirdest part of this telling of the origin Look, the fact that they give Ma this conversation with him, great. And look, she'll later see him off at the bus depot and she'll tell him, hey. Right, that's great stuff. You got it. We'll get to it. You got to use your powers. I made you a costume, all this stuff. So I actually, I do appreciate that they gave Ma more to do, but they did it totally at the expense of Pa. (laughs) Yes. I was so baffled by this. They could have both been in this scene. There's they, no reason for them not to be. They, they yeah, totally, me and your mother found you and blah, and they go back and they can go back and forth and tell them the story and all that, but they just don't do it. So it's it's a, a Ma-only scene with, with Clark, and he's questioning why he's different. And, you know, he's always been stronger and faster, but but now, you know, things, more more stuff is happening. And he tells Ma how they were playing at school and the ball, you know, went went really far and it was behind a rock and he could see it. 
And Ma goes, well, you've always had good eyes. <laughs> but I saw through the rock. This is my favorite moment of the entire episode, I think. It's like, it's like I saw through a rock. She's like, you just have good eyesight, son. Yeah, at this point, she's still trying not to tell him that he's an alien, I guess. Yeah. And then always finally. Always had good eyes. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I saw through it. It always makes you guys, me guys, I can see through things. <laughs> And then finally she cracks and she's like, well, all right, listen, we've been meaning to have this conversation with you. And then this is another, such a curious choice to me where. Yes, I love this. Please. <laughs> where, look, again, audience, we say all of this with love. We, all yes. of this with love. We love the we, show. We just talked about how impressive and <laughs> this show is, but we're just having some fun pointing out some things that, that, that kind of hit us a little weird watching this. So it's not sufficient for us to see Ma have this conversation. So instead, the narration kicks back in and the narrator tells us what Ma is telling Clark. What is that? Well, you know what? Not knowing that this was the last episode produced, I think that could answer a lot of our questions. Because they're like, well, we don't have a lot of money, um, but we need to tell the origin. So let's have a lot of stock footage of California and cows and we'll have some narration and we'll have some dates fly by to kind of show a montage that's coming up next year. And I'm like, Oh, see that to me, that makes sense. They're like, okay, what can, where can we, you know, cut some corners budget wise, perhaps. And that kind of, maybe that's where a lot of this awkwardness comes from. Cause you're the narrator's like, Ma told young Clark about all the things you literally just saw five minutes ago. And I'm like, okay, we're going to, they're like, I thought for a second, they're going to flash back. <laughs> Please show us what we just saw. I'm glad they didn't do that. Um, but yeah, we just kind of stick on teenage Clark, like listening and, and then we just see, we see calendar dates fly by, which kind of threw me off. I was going to ask you like, how old do you think Clark is at this point? But they kind of answered in a couple scenes later, but they start with 1926. I was like, oh, well, if he's 12 in 1926, then he landed in 1914, but no, that 1926 was actually <laughs> took place before the scene we saw. So that kind of smoothed itself over. Cause I did some math. I'm like, well, Clark is like 38 when he goes to work at the daily planet, but that's the numbers threw me off there. They shouldn't have put the 1926. There's my point, Anthony. So I, <laughs> this montage. I had the exact same thought and went through the same calculation you did. I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't track. So yes, the 1926 refers to when they found him. Uh, and, and we know this because then when we get to the next scene, uh, Ma and Pa are getting ready for the 25 year anniversary of when they found Clark in that rocket. And Ma's been a cooking and a cleaning as, 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 as we hear, and it's just a mom pa scene as they're, you know, she sent Clark out on an errand, right? So they can surprise him when he comes back. And they're talking about how it's been 25 years. So it's just a mom pa scene. And pa remarks, 25 years. Doggone it, 25 years. And instantly dies. Just yeah. collapses. It's one of those things, look, as a Superman fan, you know, you're watching Jonathan Kent and you know... More likely than not, at some point, this guy is going to clutch his arm and drop. And it happens, you know, it happens here. Now, like you said before, and I, I think this to me was really the failing of, of this episode. You know, it, it doesn't ruin the episode, but it's the main thing that really just felt like such a missed opportunity where there's never any scene between Clark and Pa. And this felt like this would have been the time for it. Some sort of teary farewell, anything. He's like, going to rush in and see him dying and they're going to 
have a moment. It doesn't have to be the most heartfelt thing in the world, just some sort of acknowledgement exchange. But there's zero. There's nothing. Look, on Smallville, when when Jonathan goes down, you know, you get the scene with the three of them on the farm outside. There are no words exchanged, right? Jonathan just looks. He just looks at Clark and he looks at Martha. And, you know, that look told us everything we needed to know. And it's such a powerful, yes. it's brief, but it's so powerful. And, you know, for, uh, this is a tangent, but it's okay. For a long time, I always wished that there had been some words in that scene. You know, like Clark. Really? Yeah. Like Clark, this is what you need to do. But as I've yeah. gotten older now, I, I look at it and I'm like, no, nah, there's something really beautiful and powerful about the lack of words there. Like that yeah, look I mean, really conveyed everything. They had had four and a half seasons at this point to to communicate all that stuff, right? So I think that, that it was very, I, I found it very appropriate that there weren't any lines. It would have felt almost to me like too much. Like, okay, you're just, we're going over things that we're already going over at this point if it happened there. It was very poignant to have, poignant to have uh, no dialogue. I thought, and that, and that worked really well. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's none of that is to be found here. No. So, you know, next scene, we finally see George Reeves. As <laughs> just in the, in the background, like, like the, what, no entrance, no fanfare. He's just standing in the back of the room in the corner, like in his shirt and blue jeans. And, and I guess Clark, uh, just, I guess he was just going to work on the farm. He's 25 at this point. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, so he's just standing there. The doctor comes out. It's like I'm very sorry, and we and we know that that's it. And and you know, Ma says, "Oh, he was a good good man, a good husband." And Clark says, "And these are his first words, and a good father." At, side note: George Reeves looked great here. You know, look, we, you know, for those of us who've you know know the the real life story, as you know, as the show wore on, you know, you 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 know, you got to see his physical deterioration on, on screen, but. In the in these early seasons, man, he you know he was he was young and he was very more very fit striking, and yeah. very vibrant and and what's also funny too here not funny but you see him in a, in a different way than you do in the rest of the series. I mean, in virtually every other instance, and I'll maybe we'll track this as we make our way forward through the series. But he's either in his suit or he's in his costume. You know, this is a rare instance where, like you said, he's in his you know his uh, you know uh, farm gear, farm outfit. No, no, no glasses either. No glasses. Yeah. Yeah. But the same hairstyle. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to your point, I think, and I think this lines up with the movie serials as well. Because, I mean, one of the like, unintentionally hilarious things to me of the movie serial is, is when, uh, you know, Kirk Allen's Clark is, you know, in the living room with the parents and he's, you know, in his suit and he's just reading. And like Ma and Pa kind of nudge each other like, are you like, mm, have a talk with this guy. <laughs> son. <laughs> son, you got to do something, buddy. <laughs> it's like... Uh, we well, see, that's a, that's a, this this is definitely an improvement, even though, he, you know what, even this, even though in the serial, he did have scenes with those his parents. So credit to that here, like he looks like he was working on the farm, right? He had his, like I said, his blue jeans or whatever shirt. He's kind of wearing work shirt and the serials. He's wearing his three piece suit. <laughs> Read the newspaper. I'm like, what, what are you? What are you doing here on the farm? Like you anyway, <laughs> I, it, both neither of them perfect, but I, I prefer this at least. I can imagine. Oh well, Clark's just working on the farm because his family were farmers and and whatever. And and as opposed to who who knows what he was doing or what his plans were, um, because because in the series, like eventually the kids died and Clark moved on. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like at least in this one, we get to we get to see you know Pa pass away. We Clark says bye to Ma. Like those are those are big moments, and I'm really glad we got to see them instead of just having narrator guy come on, which this episode is very prone to do. 
the writer guy did not come on and tell us all that. Uh, agreed. And I don't mean to keep beating up on the cereals, but you, you bring up an interesting point. I know with the suit, with him wearing the suit, you know, we're, there's nothing to support this total conjecture, but you wonder like, what did, did he refuse to do farm work? Was he like, what was he doing? Like, I kind of wonder what was that dynamic really like there on that farm in the cereals? We're, we're looking so far into something. They were probably like, oh, we don't have another costume for Clark. We'll just have more of the suit. Like it was, that's the, I guarantee that's the extent of the thought put into the production of that show. <laughs> as, as a side note, you know, uh, I am also doing this Power Rangers podcast now, summoning the Zords, if there are any Power Rangers fans out there. And it's a similar type of thing where, you know, I'm watching these old episodes that I watched as a kid and that were really made for kids. And, you know, I'm having these these thoughts and these questions about like, well, what sort of in-story explanation could we have for some of these things? And it's like, I know I'm thinking way more than than, than they did at the time, but it is kind of fun to play to play those games. But that's why we're here. <laughs> what we're here for. <laughs> so we get to the bus depot and, and Ma is showing Clark off. And, you know, again, this is this is another instance where. I wish that Clark had more agency and and had expressed almost almost anything really. Like it seems like he was content to be a farmer until Pa died, and then I don't know. Ma just seems to like kind of usher him out. She's like, "Listen, you have a great responsibility. I made you a costume out of your blanket, right?" And going back to them finding him in the rocket, they they remark that the the blanket is not even scorched, right? So we're establishing that the materials he came to Earth in. Uh, they're they're very strong as well, and that will be his costume moving forward. Subtle thing, I do like like his mom's telling him this, and he's like, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> you know I'm like, you know what? That's that's perfect because so obviously she's communicating information that the viewers need to know. But you know, it's always funny to see in TV when people are like, "Well, as you know, you do this." Like, yeah, I know, right? And but that is something like your mom would tell you, and be like, "I know, mom." It's like it's like I don't know, subtle, but I liked how just that little thing was like, "Oh yes, Clark has heard this story before." <laughs> And his mom's telling him again because she's, you know, I, I was extremely subtle. But to me, that 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 made that work much better. And and they even established that Martha made the suit here. That's fantastic. Superman, the movie doesn't even do that, even though he has the blankets in his backpack when he goes up to the Arctic. It's always very like, did she make a suit before or after? Who made that? Like right here, mom made the suit. My mom made it for me. I love that from Superman. Smallville did it, too. Martha made that Superman return suit, believe it or not. So <laughs> I, just a little thing here. And I found this a very... um this is the most emotion you get in this show, right? Yeah. Because because like she's like, oh, you go on. So-and-so's going to move in. And some family member of hers, her cousin or something's going to help move in. And she's going to be fine. And Clark's like, okay. And you know, he goes off and he looks back and she looks back and she looks happy. And then she looks kind of sad when he leaves. I'm like, oh, this is like a leaving home. This is a big like hero's journey, like, you know, uh, a marker, right? When you, when you have to leave home like that, and that's, you know, and as opposed to the serials where they were just, and they both died and Clark moved to Metropolis. Like, this is like, oh, you have to say goodbye to your mom, much like Superman, the movie, an incredibly emotional scene when they hug in the field and all the the sweeping music and the visuals and all that. And, uh, and this is, you know, this is not that, but this is as close to that as you get in this episode. And I, I really gravitated toward this and appreciate it. Well said. I think it's, it's a very resonant scene and, you know, it's interesting. I thought about this and I, I talked about this when I covered Superman, the movie. Do you ever, like, you know, watching the rest of the episodes, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think that Ma is ever even referenced. I'm almost positive that we never see her again, but I don't, I don't think she's even referenced. And, and I talked about this in the context of Superman, the movie, you know, I think it's reasonable to assume that he maintained, and whether it's Superman, the movie or Adventures of Superman. I think it's reasonable to assume he maintains a relationship with her, but 
I don't know, especially in Superman the movie, there's such an air of finality to that farewell in the field. I don't know. I just, I, when I watch these scenes, I don't, I can't shake this feeling that it, it really is a pretty permanent goodbye. I don't know. Like in your head canon is the George Reeves Superman, like checking in and flying home all the time. <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> I would say in my head canon for this show, I would say no. Um, Superman, the movie, she does, she does say, she, she says the seventies equivalent of always alone to small ball. She's like, never forget. Yeah. Right? Never forget us. Right. And then there is a, like, I remember even as a kid, like that, I, I felt really sad in that scene watching Superman, the movie. And I was like, well, why? She didn't die or anything. And even in the movie, he's like, oh, send half my paycheck to, you know, my mom and right. this address. And she's actually silver haired, you know? And like, oh, okay, well, that's, that's cool. But of course, Superman three comes along and his mom's passed away. But uh, that's kind of a miss. I mean, you don't, it's the fifties. You don't need to bring back the same actress if you don't want to, whatever. But like, it's a missed opportunity for this show. This episodic TV show have an episode where Clark goes back to Smallville. Like such, that's such an obvious plot for such a show that you know, not to not to say this in a negative light, but can be kind of repetitive. Like Gangster of the Week, this kind of thing. That that's a nice fun. Th- You're gonna go to have the haunted lighthouse. You can go to the Smallville class reunion or something. So that that would have been nice. Or at least some kind of mention um, of Smallville because I, I don't know. I who I would be surprised if they mentioned Smallville ever again on this show. We'll find out, won't we? So. Exactly. Exactly. So now we make our way to the third and final setting here for our origin episode here as we as we make our way into the final leg of of Superman on Earth and we're in Metropolis and we see the cityscape and we get the title card telling us we're in Metropolis. You get the title, very important title card. I don't know. Had no title cards up to this point. They really wanted to hammer home we were in Metropolis and we get narration and we are told that Clark, quote, has resolved to keep secret his Superman identity and to adopt a pose of mild-mannered timidity as Kent. He hasn't even become Superman yet, but he's decided to keep that identity a secret. As Not even Clark Kent. He just says Kent. As Kent. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, but then he, th- and then as you said, okay, this... This thing stuck out to me the most, right? It's it's I understand what they're trying to sh- it's it's like a it's like there was a, a stage play of Superman, right? You get George Reeves walking along, right? He's got his suitcases and he's in his three-piece suit in his fedora, and he's just looking at these buildings, he's superimposed over these other buildings, and then he pulls out his glasses and puts it on when they talk about the timidity. But what's so funny is you can it's just him shuffling left and right and left and right and left and right. Because when you when you film someone who's supposed to be walking and they're not moving. And you put them on a treadmill so you can see that their legs are going forward. And but clearly just had him shuffle left and right and left and right. And it's to me, it's the funniest thing in the (laughs) the funniest thing in the episode. (laughs) Yes, that I did. I did clock as well. And we're told that he seeks a job as reporter on a great metropolitan newspaper. And that, of course, brings us to the Daily Planet, where Clark is waiting for this appointment with Perry White, of course, played by by John Hamilton. And Perry can't be bothered. He wants to fire reporters, not hire them, which I thought was great. I love that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And do you feel like, you know, we're told that he has adopted this pose of timidity. Um, do you feel like, you know, in this episode and, and in the episodes to come from what you remember, do you feel like his Clark uh, lived up to to that description in the narration of mild manner timidity? You know... In my memory, I'm like, George Reeves was just the same as Clark and Superman, right? In my memory, right? But I might be wrong, because in this episode, just the way he's talking to, like, the secretary and Perry White, he's like, oh, well, so I got the job? Like, he's he's not quite 
Christopher Reeve level of right, you know, it's a silly voice that I'll do <laughs> doing the Christopher Reeve Clark, but y'all know what I mean. But he is a little more soft spoken. He's like, Oh, well, sir, if I get this for you, do I get the job? Like he's there's a different like vibe to him. Uh, where he's not like no nonsense Superman because I remember that very distinctly about him. So m- maybe maybe there's more variation here than I think. That's one of the things that I'll I'll be tracking as we move forward because I and look it was only a year ago that I watched these. I did not generally see a ton of differentiation, and in fact, there were a lot of instances where his Clark was tough. His Clark was tough and impatient, and I would not really describe him as timid in most instances. Mm-hmm. I do agree. I think here especially when he's talking to the secretary and a little bit with Perry. Yeah, there is a little bit, there is a little bit of that mild matteredness. I, I, I do see that there. Although it is so funny to me. So Clark decides to get into Perry's office by, he goes into the store, the storage room, right? And he, and he walks out on the ledge around the side of the building and goes into. So there's a window in the store storage closet, by the way, Anthony. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Why? That's a good question. <laughs> And, and, you know, so he sneaks into Perry's office just as Lois has come in. He's, you know, Perry has called Lois in. And here's what made me laugh because, you know, Clark comes out from behind the, the curtains or whatever. And Perry's like, how'd you get in here? And Clark is like, I walked out on the ledge. Now, Perry quickly d- dismisses that, right? He doesn't seem to believe because it sounds ridiculous. But the thing that struck me was if you're supposed to be <laughs> playing up your timid, your timidity, that's a pretty big swing. Like he just comes right out and he's like, I don't know. Like th- that doesn't seem to quite line up with this, uh, this, this guys that he's trying to, to, to put on. That's true. But he's trying to get a job. He's trying to impress this guy. True. Uh, I can see him do that. You know, if this is, it's funny because like, like no one could do that right now. This was, say this was Lois and Clark, right? This is right. You would have seen Clark go outside, float around the building, do something only Superman could do. And then come in through the window. But you just literally just see George Reeves walking on this side of this building, just around the corner. Just anyone could have done that, which I guess helps the secret identity. <laughs> but yes, that's a very brave thing to do. It doesn't really fit him being a, a timid, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. So, yeah. And this, of course, this is uh, this is the Phyllis Coates version of Lois. She will play the role in the first season before she's replaced by Noelle Neal, who, of course, played Lois in the serials. Which which of the Loises do you prefer? Ooh, this might be a hot take, but I remember rewatching the DVDs a few years ago. I watched the first couple seasons. I'm like, I don't know, man. I think I like Phillips Coates better. I uh, no, no, and no slight to Noelle Neal. I just kind of I felt like she had more going on. Um, she had more edge to her. Something. I mean, just some intangibility there. I just I, I like them both, but but if I had to pick one, I, I'd say Phillips Coates. A thousand percent. I agree with everything. Like I love them both, and they both have value, but. Yeah, I'm very taken with the Phyllis Coates version. She was tough, like she was tough as nails, and I thought she brought a lot of integrity to the character of Lois, and especially at that time, like the Noel Neal version, a lot, a lot softer. Mm, yes, I think that's what it is. Yeah, but you know, rewatching the serials, I'm like, hey, you know, Noel Neal's pretty good at these. True, like she might be like more have more edge to her in those than even in the show. But this is, you know, well, revisiting the show, we'll see. But uh, but yeah, they she she was a little softer, and then, of course, the show went on so long that she was in more of these kind of like you know, lighthearted kitty episodes, if you will, later on. So you have that in your memory, but, and then while Phyllis Coates is in more, she's, she's only in the kind of more hard boiled film noirish first season. And that probably does her a lot of service as well as an actress, but no, I, I, I like her and I like them both. Same. And then of course we have Jack Larson's, uh, Jimmy Olsen busting in to say that there's this blimp that's, uh, 
stranded over this airfield and there's someone hanging from a rope. And Perry sends them off on assignment. And this is when Clark steps up. He's like, look, if I can get an exclusive interview with this guy, can I have a job? And he's off. And, you know, we see him, you know, uh, bust out as Superman and we have our run, in, run into sequence. the storage closet again. Yeah. Run into the storage closet. How could I forget? The most important The same part. shot. Yep. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll have a lot of that as we make our way forward through the series. Uh, my favorite part is we'll get to the episodes where, uh, you know, he'll leave a scene and he won't have his hat on. And then you'll see him running into the storage closet with his hat. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh! before we get too far, talking about running to the storage closet, um, the secretary, did she like think Clark was cute or something? Yes. I kind of clocked it. She gave him kind of a long look when he walks off. What, what would you take? What oh, was your take on that? Thank you for bringing that up because I wrote that down and then I kind of, I, I forgot about it's, it's, it. It's but, very intentional. Like they stay with her. Yeah. She definitely is smitten with Clark. I wish that that had ever been followed up on, but it's not now. So the secretary is generally uh, Miss, Miss Bacharach. That's, that's the name. And as I understand it, I think it's like a different actress each time. So you don't really have much consistency there, but we're going to get to an episode a little bit later on in the season where you talk about Clark not being timid. I think it's the night of, uh, I think it's the night of terror episode where Lois is being held captive and she tries to get a message to the planet and it goes to Miss Bacharach and she leaves a note on the desk, but then it gets blown away. And when Clark shows up, like he's very forceful with her. Like he's, he's like, where's the, where is she? Like, he's really, he's like, Again, not that not that timid, mild manner Clark that you would think, but I believe that was a different actress. But to your I point, have a vague memory of this, yeah. of like just him just like shaking some woman in an office, right? Is it, is that what that is? Yeah, that's amazing. Because like somebody left her a message, like Lois left a message, and okay, all right, yep. so it's starting to come back to me now. So I feel like Tom Welling doing Talkville. It's all starting to come back to me now. The more we talk about it, <laughs> um, no, the, the the Betty Brant of Superman, right? To, to use a Spider Man analogy, this, this character could have been. That's a character. I mean, maybe that's why they don't do it. Like another version is like, I don't know, Spider Man's got the whole Betty Brant thing going on. But that's a very if you want to fill out your Daily Planet staff, they're always looking to do that, right? You got your Ron troops over here, you got your Cat Grants over there. Like, let's have Perry's, you know, administrative assistant, as it would be today, Anthony. So yes, no, of course it would not be. It would not be secretary today, but <laughs> at the time. Yeah, no, I, that's the thing. And, and I know the show wasn't built for that. And they weren't, I don't, that's the thing, like, right, they weren't necessarily looking to build out the world and have these callbacks and things like that. But as we're talking about it, yeah, it's like, it would have been cool, like you said, to see a return to Smallville. It would have been cool to see, I don't know, maybe a little bit of a, a little flirtation or any kind of budding anything between Clark and, and Miss, Miss Bacharach. Because I remember that this Clark, you know, he's, he's a charming guy. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, that's the only thing I remember about him as well. He's not just... And as much as I love the Christopher thing, he's not going to be some secretary is not going to be giving him a second look when he walks off like, oh, God, thank God the guy's out of here. <laughs> That's going to be her reaction. And, and this one seemed to like him. But uh, anyway, he like to your point, he he runs into the storage closet again and, and, and he's Superman. And he's Superman. He's off and he's flying and he's, you know, we see we see George Reeves. It's not the it's not the serials where Kirk Allen is now a cartoon. You know, we see him. We have the the music. We have that wind effect. And it, <laughs> yeah. Man, that does a lot. I mean, it really conjures this, this, this effect and and this imagery. And this this also made me laugh. So you know, we see Superman flying, and then we cut to Jimmy and and Lois uh, and the driver. Right? Oh, and, so good. <laughs> you, so please, good. please do the honors. Do the honors. So <laughs> this is Batman sixty six level of let's right, kids, because they're it's it's Lois, Jimmy, and some other photographer. Because I think Perry told him to take a second photographer. And Jimmy's driving and Lois is like, hurry up, Jimmy. He's like, oh, gosh, Miss Lane, the speed limit's 35. I don't want to get a ticket. She's like, huh? Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
That's right, kids. Obey the laws of the road. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, uh, I, I, I laughed out loud seeing that. I thought that was just charming. <laughs> it was genuinely funny. And I guess, I guess you're right. I mean, I suppose maybe that was the message that they were trying to convey. I think if they, if Lois had kind of been like, fine, whatever, it would have played better. I think the fact for me, at least like the way that she's just so quick to be like, oh yes, you're right. <laughs> Well, that, that's why it's more enjoyable. It definitely <laughs> yes. would have been. She should have scoffed at him, but because she was like, "Oh no, absolutely, that's right, Jimmy." Like that, that made me legitimately gave me joy. <laughs> Just such a bizarre exchange. You didn't need that scene at all. Like it's so strange. But I guess they wanted to establish them going. Yeah, because Clark got there before them as Superman, which Lois brings up at the end. Um, a word on Jack Larson, so good. Um, and is it George Hamilton or is, I believe is it's Perry White? John. John, yeah, George Hamilton is is in The Godfather Part Three. That's right. That's that's a different person. Uh, John Hamilton. These guys are great as these parts, uh, and I think they defined these characters like Perry White and Jimmy Olsen for you know years, right? Because they were on you know the show, much the same way George Reeves and you know everybody was as these characters. Uh, and I think when you know people think about the kinds of characters Perry White and Jimmy Olsen are, they think about even if they know it or not, they think about these versions of the characters. Uh, and it's such a breath of, breath of fresh air. Uh, coming off the serials where they were just, I don't know, I did not much care for them in the serials. And immediately, I love this Perry White, and I get a good vibe from this Jimmy Olsen as well. So I just really, as a supporting characters, they, they go, it goes a long way for these for these actors in these roles. Totally. And I, I really, like, I really like season one Jimmy in the show. As the show wears on, you know, he really is played for laughs. And I think, actually, Haunted Lighthouse, which I've already rewatched, I mean, I think that's a good example of... Um, you know, seeing a version of the character that was, you know, they were still playing him straight. Like it wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't always the the, the butt of the joke or, or just there to generate laughs as I think it became, you know, he got a lot sillier as the show went on. So I, I like, I do especially like this early version, but I like, you know, I enjoy the Jack Larson version uh, generally. This Perry, I, I see the value in, I don't dislike, but I, I like a Perry who's not only gruff. I like a Perry where we get a little bit more uh, of the man behind that. And I, having recently rewatched the first season of Lois and Clark, the Lane Smith is really my number one. I think when it comes oh, to on-screen Perry's. No question. Lane Smith is the gold standard. He's so great. He has a lot of facets to him, especially earlier in the show. Um, and the whole levels thing is fantastic as well. It's just such a, such a well, I don't know. It just fits so well. <laughs> it's got to be an Elvis fan and leaning into all that. Um, yeah. I just liked um I just kind of liked his, his, his attitude, you know, th- th- this pretty much, yeah, there needs to be more. Don't get me wrong. Like if this, and he is kind of one note perhaps as the show goes on, but, uh, but I, I liked him. He had, he had something to him, like an energy to him and how dismissive he is of Clark. He's like, sure, I'll give you a job. Get out of here. Right. Um, not expecting, you know, Clark to even do that. But I, uh, you know, I, I it's, it's, it's tough. It's so tough because J. Jonah Jameson has become such a, like, he's the newspaper guy editor from Spider-Man. And, and I think with Superman, Ret- now we're getting all over the place, but yeah, it's cool, right? Uh, with Superman Returns, you get Frank Langella, who I liked as well, but he kind of like a quiet, stern, this to him, because like Spider-Man trilogy coming out at the same time, you can't have the whole like, you know, hothead editor of a newspaper because it got J. Jonah Jameson there. So I think, you know, of the two, I mean, if you ask somebody in the, you know, in the 70s, people it'd be Perry White, but these days people think J. Jonah Jameson. So it's it's a it's a tough balance there for for these characters. But I like um I like all the Perry Whites, really. I don't really I don't think there's been a bad Perry White. They all bring something, they all bring something to them. Um was that guy in Superman Lois Perry White? <laughs> in the flashback episode. I guess he had to have been, right? I, I think so. Yeah. Honestly, couldn't tell you, Anthony. I love that episode, the best one of the show, but 
that random guy who hired it has to be Perry White because he hires Clark. Um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> supporting characters. Ah, for sure, for sure. So we then get our our big climax here. We get and we don't want a rare special effect where we see the guy hanging from the blimp and he drops and Superman catches him and you know very clearly a dummy that he's that he's catching. But yeah. I, listen, given the limitation, like that's the thing. And any any critiques that I might have, like rarely have to do with the effects or anything like that. Cause I, I think they did a, a honestly overall a really good job with what they had to work with in terms of technology budget, the the speed at which they were producing these episodes. So, uh, you know, when you get instances like this, where you seem like making a mid air catch, like that's pretty cool. Despite yeah, the limitations. I mean, it's an air rescue, which, which I think is essential for Superman's big debut. He needs to do something in the air, right? A space shuttle, an airplane, a blimp in this case, Pushing another planet. (laughs) We said at the same time, it's so good. (laughs) That's but not like that's the thing. Like we've been saying, you know, just tying this all together. Like it hits the major beats. This origin story really hits, and in one way or another, really, you know, encapsulates. I think all of those major moments. And and you're right. Like that air rescue is an indelible part now of of the Superman origin story. And so he has that catch. And then we, we wrap up at the daily planet where they're interviewing uh, the guy who fell. Cause Clark was able to get him back there. And, you know, he talks about being saved by this man in the air. And Perry of course is very incredulous at all of this, but, but, but uh, Lois and Jimmy are like, no, like we saw the streak. Oh, if only they had said blur. If only blur. they had said a red, blue so we blur. Saw, saw a red, blue blur. <laughs> Cause they say it's a red and blue suit. They mentioned that. Yes. It's probably, maybe that's perhaps because of the black and whiteness of it all. But, but even Superman, the movie, they're like, yeah, big blue bird with big red boots. And that's the same kind of deal. And it's, it's a, it's a very charming way for them to discuss the first appearance of Superman. It's kind of funny. Like, so this guy fell from a blimp hundreds of feet in the air, presumably. And then Superman, like, put him down and changed into Clark and was like, Oh, let me get you to the paper. And that's, and, <laughs> and Perry gives him the job because like, that's good thinking kid. Now we have the scoop on all the other newspapers. And he's like, sort of have the job. And he, he isn't, he doesn't talk like Christopher. I'm sorry. That's my default Clark voice. And um, he's like, here's your answer kid. And it's like, he has the article in the paper and you know what? It's, it's someone who's moving into season eight of Smallville. <laughs> right? As of this recording. Um, I like that. I don't know. I just, I like how Clark got his job that they plan it like this kind of like Lois and Clark right he has to prove himself as a journalist instead of like hey I sent in that application that you gave me Lois or I interviewed myself which I don't know what version he does that in I know it's somewhere I just find that so funny that like <laughs> he got the exclusive interview with Superman <laughs> to get the job like that is cheating Clark but uh, I think you know what he he proved that he was a capable journalist in this and even you know he used his powers to his advantage but not breaking any rules or anything he got there first he saved the guy got the story. I think that's a really cool way for him to get the job. I agree. I like that a lot as well. Yes, it is humorous. You do wonder if that guy woke up and he was like, I should probably get to a hospital. And Clark's like, don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know, in all seriousness, like one of the things that I do remember from watching these, you really do see the, the supreme place of prominence that the daily planet occupies in the city. Right. I mean, Perry White's always on the phone with the police commissioner and, and you know, the people are very yeah, like deferential. Five phones on his desk. In I found that funny. He was answering <laughs> the wrong phone and there's a pager, like little things like that. You're right. It's, it was the fifties. The newspaper was the top of the food chain. Yeah. So I don't know the fact that Clark's like, no, we're going to the paper first. The guy was probably like, OK. And then we end with Lois questioning Clark. How how did you beat us there? 
And of course, he's got his cheeky response. I'll let you do the honors. I don't know, Lois. Maybe I'm a Superman. And that was it. We don't get him, you know, looking at the camera and winking. I was waiting for the wink. I know, I know. We'll get, we'll get that, but, uh, but, not, but not here. But well, th- he doesn't get named yet, does he? Because the 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 guy he interviews says, "Oh, this super guy picked me out of the air." And right. They don't really name him super. The narrator did. Yes. <laughs> earlier, but <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what's so funny. Well, you know, we'll talk about this in in two weeks. But when when we get to the haunted lighthouse, which aired second. Superman is well established. Everyone knows his name. He's clearly had history with Jimmy. So again, the 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 choice of when to air these is, is kind of baffling to me. But certainly, beginning with Superman on Earth makes total sense. Uh, before we get to our rating, I'm going to debut a little rating system here uh, on the show. Very exciting. But before we do that, any any concluding thoughts? Anything about this episode that we didn't talk about that you wanted to? No, I really, I think we hit on everything. It's fun to talk about one of these shorter, <laughs> this is half the length of a small episode. And, you know, we talked just as long, but this is the first episode. Obviously, there's a lot more to delve into, like Superman mythology wise, comparing this to that, the origin story, uh, obviously. And and yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I, I never thought about it in these terms before. But if you look at this episode, it's like, uh, yeah, they just, they took this episode and they remade it for Superman the movie. Like B for B, like you spent, <laughs> you, you have your acting Krypton, you react in Smallville, you react in Metropolis, there's an air rescue. Now, I mean, there should be, like, the, I, I will say, I felt like it ended, but right when it was getting started, I was like, oh, cool, Superman's here, and Lois and Clark, and he got the job, and and then it's over. I'm like, oh, but that's, that's how this was back then. It's fine. There's shorter little adventures, and and that's what, you know, the, all the other 100-plus episodes are for. But, uh, no, I just find it a very concise, efficient telling of the story of Superman. I could show someone this, and they would understand everything about Superman and where he came from and what he does. And that's that's quite quite a feat for a show from you know 1952, I think. Absolutely, I, I I echo all of that. So, this will be our rating system. At the end of each episode here, we will give our rating. And I since uh, I love the fedora look for the character, I'm going to go with fedoras here. So we'll have a rating system one to five. We can go halves if if you want, but on a scale of one to five, how many fedoras would you give Superman on earth? Of course, five being the best one being the worst. You know, I give it four fedoras. I think it was really solid. I mean, there were, we, we had a little fun with some of the, you know, the narration and montages and choices like that. But I think on the whole, this is a very ambitious thing to attempt and like i said from the top i was surprised they even did an origin episode so i think for what they set out to achieve they did a really good job so i'm gonna give it four out of five fedoras all right right on i'm very close i'm gonna give it three and a half i'm gonna go three and a half just because i guess i know i I feel like i have a good sense of what my my fours and fives are going to be and I, I don't, and this that's is, fair. Yeah. I, I have no idea. So <laughs> and, and I, guess, I gave, I gave the Smallville pilot like a, like a B plus or something. So what do I, <laughs> what do I know? But similar though, cause I'm like, Oh, well, I love Memoria and Rosetta and like the pilot's not as good as those. And so now I look back at that. And I'm like, Oh, yikes. Maybe I should have given the pilot a higher grade. But anyway, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. But, and that's the thing though. I like, I guess this cuts, it's a double-edged sword because I, I look at this and it's like, it's not, I guess maybe in some respects I'm knocking it somewhat for not being representative of the show moving forward. But that's not, I mean, that's not a really a fair criticism because this has a different mandate, right? This was setting everything up and telling the origin. Um, but I guess I still kind of have that in my mind. But it did, again, I'm going to go three and a half out of five. I think this was really strong uh, and 
and really, you know, for, for all the reasons that we said, I mean, I think it really, it did justice to the origin story in one of the shortest run times <laughs> that, that we've had the, the, the origin told it told within it's, it's really pretty incredible, you know, and that's Superman on earth. And that's our series premiere. I can't thank you enough for being part of this, man. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. I, I really am honored to be in episode one here. And uh, I, I got a question for you, Anthony. Are you going to do a tally board or anything uh, over the course of this show? So we talked off mic. You gave me a lot of great advice. One of the things <laughs> was, you know, having some sort of reference guide. And, you know, thankfully we have serial to serial. I, for now, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do the tally board. And the main reason is that the last time I recorded with you, I saw you tallying everything up. And I was like, this looks like a lot of work. So, so I, I think for, I have, there's one or two things in mind that, I might, I might implement as we move forward, but for now, I think I'm going to refrain from the tally board, but I heard, I heard you, I did consider it, but uh, for now, I think we'll, we'll do our rating system for sure. That's fun. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we'll have any tallies, but that might change. I see. You, you keep tabs on some of those things, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's a lot of work. And our last time we recorded, I was like, Oh no, I'm flipping through pages and stuff and all that. So no, I, I feel you, but no, th- th- this was a lot of fun. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to enjoy, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try and, and, you know, they're 25 minute episodes. I'm going to try and keep, keep track with you guys and, and watch an episode every couple of weeks uh, to just, you know, kind of relive the show in this way. And then eventually get to areas where I haven't seen since I was a little kid or maybe not at all down in those later seasons. But uh, no, this is a, this is, I, I wish you well on this, on this rewatch podcast. It's uh, it's quite a journey. It's a different, like, as you're already experiencing, it's a different flavor. Uh, doing an episode by episode rewatch of a show, and uh, and I'm very excited to to listen, then and hopefully be back. It, absolutely, I I look forward to having you back. Uh, I'll be hitting you up for for more down the line. Don't you worry. But uh, I thank you for you know again you, you the the inspiration and and the advice that you shared. And you're right. I mean, it it flexes a different podcast muscle, and I I like doing it. I, it's a lot of fun so far, P- folks. I hope that you enjoy. I hope that you come along for this ride. Again, make sure you are subscribed. That's the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. So subscribe. We're on all the major podcast platforms. Again, connect on social media. Uh, if you want to join the Patreon, it's patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. We have a bunch of exclusive episodes, and it really does help support the show. And uh, some of the higher tier perks include on-air questions and comments like you heard earlier. Uh, but most importantly, I hope you enjoy. I hope you, if you're able to, you watch along with us. Though I will say, and then I will really wrap this up, I'm designing <laughs> these episodes such that because I know not everyone has access, or maybe even if you do, you might not have the time or the inclination to be rewatching all of these episodes. So that's why we're going scene by scene. So if yeah. <laughs> you know, you're you're not watching along with us, you're we're still taking you through the entire episode. That's the goal. It would be so man, I'm thinking about like talking about catching up with you and and and, and or keeping along with you guys when you when you cover episodes. It would be so much easier if it was on an app somewhere. So you could just be laying down on the couch and just click on HBO Max and you gotta get instead I gotta get up. And open my DVD box set. <laughs> Put it. How lazy does that sound? But really, though, I mean, just the the accessibility and the efficiency of it. Like I, I experienced the same thing. I started Smallville, always on Smallville, my podcast, with no with Smallville not on streaming at all. And I was like, well, guys, uh, hope you have the DVDs, right? I mean, that's you know, and so I was very methodical, like going through everything, you know. Um, and then I think, I think about, I think about just over a year later, Hulu picked him up. I'm like, oh, this is great. It's going to be so good for the podcast. And maybe it was, maybe it was, I don't know if that really increased my listeners for any, I don't know if people came from that or anything, but that was a big thing to have people just the accessibility of it. 
And, and, and who knows what the way Warner Brothers and whoever owns them now, what the feature of their streaming services are, who knows when this will be available on streaming again. But uh, but I, I hope it is. It was available on, on DC on the very short-lived, you were gone too soon, DC Universe app, which also had The Flash and Superboy and er- everything you could ever think of. Um, so hopefully that will come again because I think this is a show that, uh, that you know, it's, it deserves to be in circulation still. People want to check this out. This is a huge historical landmark for the character. And uh, it should be out there for the for the people to watch. So there you go. Amen. That's the thing in terms of the history, the mythology, this show earned its place and it should be available. It should be celebrated. It, it should be there so that new generations could come to it, whether they fully immerse themselves in it and they become fans or even if they just watch out of curiosity or to get a sense of, of this version. So Look, you never know if this podcast really takes off. Maybe this will get the attention of David Zaslav or, or the appropriate parties and we'll see something happen. I don't necessarily expect that. But uh, if nothing else, we're shining a light. We're creating a, a place to have these discussions. And, and that's the goal. I hope that everyone checks out Zach's podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, available on all major podcast platforms. You have a Patreon available you know, out there on social media as well. So I hope people will connect. Is there anything in particular that, that you want to direct people towards or plug? Oh, no, just I'm excited to get into the the Metropolis years of Smallville. So check us out uh, on Twitter at Always Smallville with one S, Always on the Smallville. And uh, we have a Patreon where we talk about other Smallville things, other superhero things. So just uh, check us out over there as well if you enjoy what we're putting out. And then uh, Anthony is going to be on. uh, We've already recorded it and it's going to come out in the not too distant future. But the first episode of season eight, Odyssey, the impossible Odyssey of Smallville season eight begins. And we had a great conversation about it. And uh, and yeah, and, and you'll be back on again down the road for Smallville. So uh, we, we have a mutual love of, of Smallville and Superman, and, and I'm glad we've become friends in podcasting here and and can uh, have some fun together talking about our favorite character. Likewise, man. Well said. Well, thank you, Zach. Thank you, audience. Really, thank you for joining us for the series premiere. We'll be back in two weeks. I'll be joined by Tyler Patrick, host of the Krypton Report podcast, and we'll be talking about season one, episode two, The Haunted Lighthouse. So make sure you join us for that. Adventures await. Support the show and receive exclusive additional content, including my DC Movie Rewatch podcast at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show. Also, be sure to explore the other shows within the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, which is home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, all hosted by yours truly. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Visit flatsquirrelproductions.com for more. Thank you all.